today we're going to be looking in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 14 through 16. So if you want to turn there, you can do that. And if you wonder where 1 Peter is, it's right before 2 Peter. And so uh, you, can go, you can go to the middle of your Bible, hang a really hard right, and uh, you're eventually going to run into 1 Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 1, and today we are continuing our series, Rumors. And uh, uh, there was a rumor that Wednesday night that, uh, that I was at the Journey Steve Miller Band concert. I will not confirm nor deny. Uh, that was, I don't, how many, did any of y'all go to that concert? How many of y'all went to the concert? Uh, I, I, I went to the concert as well, and I'm happy to say I was by far the youngest person there. I'm, everybody's laughing. It was hilarious. We walked in, and I, of course, I saw half the church there and uh, looked around, and I was like, man, this is awful. We're getting older. And uh, so anyway, so it was a lot of fun. But anyway, we are continuing our series, Rumors, today. And there are a ton of rumors out there. I mean, we can all think of different rumors that there are. Um, I've, I've told you all before, I am, a, I am a sucker for infomercials. I mean, I just get, I get drawn in by infomercials. And there's this one infomercial out right now on the Flex Belt. Have you all heard of that one? Uh, the Flex Belt, what you do is you strap it on to your midsection, and you just you turn it on, and it shakes and vibrates uh, and for like 30 minutes. And if you do this every day, it says within six to eight weeks, you will have a six-pack. Now, how awesome is that? I mean, you don't do anything. You don't exercise. You don't change your diet. The only thing you do is you hit the on switch, and in six to eight weeks, you have a, a body like a god. Okay, so I, now here's one thing I'm learning. I'm learning that with uh, rumors, I think rumors basically are used in order to make a killing, you know, to make a living. Uh, National Enquirer, the magazine, has done a great job of making a lot of money with rumors. You know, there's that magazine in grocery stores, and as you're waiting in line, you read the magazine. Before long, you, you buy the magazine, and you see some of the rumors in there. And some of the ones over the years that I found really kind of interesting are, you know, I wonder, is Bat Boy, is he real? Um, the, the other rumor that you see in there is that Hillary Clinton adopted an alien child. Do you remember that one? And so you're like, man, did this really happen? And so rumors are, are things that, that people use in order to spread stories, to make money. Um, and as a pastor, I've heard my share of rumors as well. And one of the rumors that I have heard in the years that I pastor is whenever I talk to people, many times they will share this rumor with me. Well, in the end, all that God wants for me is he wants me to be happy. Now, typically, that statement is made when the preceding words were something that, that wasn't really all that good. It's not that what they, the way they're living or what they're doing is scriptural, but they will justify it all by, by saying, but God wants me to be happy. And a lot of times I'll hear this when I'm talking to people about their marriages, and their marriages are struggling, and, and they will tell me, they'll say, listen, I've outgrown my spouse, which I never know what that means. You know, I've outgrown my spouse. Um, we don't get along anymore. I've fallen in love with somebody else. And it's okay for me to leave them. And then they will say the words that justify everything. Because God wants me to be happy. And, and in many ways in our society today, it's almost like we think that happiness is something that trumps everything else. That it trumps even God's word. And I, and I know for me personally, and, and you know, as far as like dealing with my own personal feelings, I mean, that's something that that's kind of sounds good. I mean, why wouldn't God want me to be happy? And so the question then is, is that true or is it just a rumor? 
And so today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see Peter sharing with believers God's calling on their lives. And what he shares with us is that God's calling on our lives is not for us to be happy. That, 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 that's, God's calling for you and for me is not happiness. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to be happy. I'm all for happiness. But God's calling for our lives is to be obedient. God has called for us to be obedient to him. And, and that can seem sort of strange to us because we say, well, it's my life and I should be able to do what I want. And, and my primary purpose in life is to be happy. But Peter disagrees. Peter says your primary purpose, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to be obedient. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to look in 1 Peter 1, verse number 14. And just a reminder, we just went through 1 Peter. It was a letter that Peter wrote to, to you know, Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, that had been, they'd been spread out all throughout the ancient Roman Empire. And so as they were following their faith, following after Jesus, what, what was happening to a lot of them is they were undergoing persecution because of their faith. Now, people did not generally like Christians very much. And so it had the, it had, the Christians were not happy. You know, so they're struggling right here. And so Peter wrote them this letter in order to encourage them. And his encouragement to them was to, to live for Jesus, to be obedient to him above all other things. And the reason why is because he said it will, it will lead to a life of blessings, a life of reward, a life of fulfillment. He said, but God's called you to obedience. And that's still a calling for us today. He's called us to be obedient. And so because of the way that my mind works, and I get to you know, put this on you guys every week, well, I said, well, how, how do I be obedient? You know, what instructions are given to me that show me how I can be obedient to Jesus? And, and today we're going to see just a few instructions that, that I was able to see in our text today. And, and for us to be obedient to the Lord, which is God's calling for us, it begins with this, for us to prepare our minds for action. In, in other words, to, to mentally prepare to live for Jesus. Uh, in verse number 13, it says, Therefore, get your minds ready for action, being self-disciplined, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't take long to figure out where I got the idea that we are to get our minds ready, to prepare them for action. I mean, verse number 13, he says it very clearly. He says, get your minds ready for action. Now, what does this mean? It means this. Living for Jesus is not just something that happens. You know, we, we don't just naturally say, you know, I'm, I'm just naturally obedient to God. Y'all, let me tell you something. I am not naturally obedient to anything. Uh, and my guess is that you are the same way. And so if we're going to be obedient to the Lord, it is something that we have to prepare our minds to do. Peter says to get your minds ready for action. Uh, that phrase, ready for action, it's, it's an interesting phrase. It means to gird up your loins. Y'all heard that before? That's such a biblical you know, phrase right there. Gird up your loins. I might hear that and automatically, automatically think, oh, that came from the Bible. So what does it mean to gird up your loins? Well, in, in Peter's day, the fashion of the day, it was not to wear pants. It was to wear sort of like a robe. And so whenever you were in a hurry, if you had to get somewhere quickly, 
it was very easy for your robe, you know, when you're running, to, for it to get in your way, cause you to stumble, to trip, to slow you down. You know, it's like whenever you watch a track event, have you ever noticed how they don't wear dresses, you know, when they run? They wear instead these, like, painted-on pants, which there's no way that's ever going to happen. But they, they wear tight-fitting clothes because they, they don't get in their way. And so Peter said, you gird up your loins. Now, what that meant was whenever they were in a hurry in that day, they would take the, the lower part of the robe and they would tuck it into their belt. I'm sure that looked really good. And they would lift it up, tuck it in, so if they were in a hurry, it would not get in their way. It would not cause them to stumble and fall. And so, so the idea here is Peter's saying, gird up your loins, gird up th- your mind. Because there's a lot of stuff that we think on that comes into our minds that can cause us to stumble. That can cause us not to live and to think as God would have us live and to think. Does that make sense? Um, let me get an example, and I use it all the time is many of us, we need to do a better job of girding up our loins, our mind, when we're driving. Because if you don't, then it's very easy to have thoughts of anger and hatred and bitterness for all the sorry drivers in South Carolina, right? And so what we want to do is, before we get in the car, say, God, as I'm driving, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these thoughts out of my mind so that your thoughts will have a clear path in how I'm thinking. So Peter is telling us to tuck all of our thoughts away that cause us to stumble in our walk with Jesus. So, so how do we prepare our minds to do this? You know, what's the action step? Well, for one, Peter tells us that we are to be self-disciplined. And that word self-disciplined, it means to be sober. It means to be calm, to be steady, to be focused on the task ahead of you. To purposely think on the things of God. Now, what happens is a lot of diversions that happen in life that kind of cause our minds to wander. I, I don't know how many of y'all watch the great show, America's Funniest Home Videos. Very, very stimulating uh, concerning your mind. It makes you, I watch that show and I think I can feel myself getting smarter. And so uh, one of the things on the show is that you see all the time, is you see a lot of people that don't really, don't put a lot of thought into what they're doing. Y'all noticed that before on the show. And one of my favorite ones is this guy, and he's walking down the street with his wife. And somebody's filming this guy because there's a really pretty lady coming the other way. And he's with his wife, and as, as she's walking by, he just sits there and does this. And he's not paying attention any longer to what's in front of him. So he keeps walking, not realizing that just a few steps in front of him is a stop sign. And uh, so he keeps walking, and his face slams into the stop sign, and he drops to the ground. So I, I, lo- I think that's hilarious. And so every time I watch it, and I've seen it a million times, I laugh every time. Now, what happened? This is a guy whose mind wandered. He did not do a good job of girding up his loins, and because of it, he paid a price. That same thing in our walk with God. There are many of us, and we are walking along with God, and then we see things that pass by us that get our attention, and sometimes it can be... It can, be, it can be good things, not, but not the best. It can, be, it can be lust. It can be addictions. And we take our eyes off of the Lord, and the next thing we know is we slam into something, and it knocks us on our tail. So Peter says, you want to gird up your loins so this doesn't happen to you. He says, you want to be careful in where your mind is. So, so where is our focus to be on life? Well, it, you know what? Our focus is not to be on being happy. That's not our focus. Our focus is to be on being obedient 
and looking ahead to what God has promised those who follow him. You know, one of the things that God has promised those who follow him, he says, there's going to be a day when I am going to return for my people to prepare for that day. Keep your mind ahead so that when I come back, you will be ready. My, my wife is, is gone this weekend. Every year she gets together with high school friends. And uh, they meet once a year. She's coming back today. You know what I'm going to do when the service is over? I'm going to go home and I'm going to get everything ready before she gets back. I'm going to make the bed. I'm going to wash the dishes. Now, why am I doing those things? A couple reasons. One, I'm afraid of my wife. Uh, two, I want to be ready when she gets home. I want her to come in. I want her to be happy. Because if she is happy, I am happy, right? And, I, and plus, if I don't do those things, then it, in a sense, it shows, it shows disrespect to her. So, so Peter is saying, be careful what you are putting into your mind. Be prepared and thinking ahead for when Jesus comes back so that you will honor him. So how, how, do, I get, how do I get ready? How do I get, get prepared for being obedient to the Lord? Well, Peter says it begins with you preparing your mind for action. Think on the things of God. And then here's the second one. Second instruction for obedience is this. If you're going to be obedient to the Lord, then make sure you don't compromise your spiritual convictions. Now, what, now what does that mean? Well, look with me in verse 14. Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Now, Peter was writing to Christians all over Europe, and some of them at this time were suffering, and they just needed to be inspired to continue on in their faith. Because, you know, sometimes it, it can be hard to say that you're going to walk with God. You know, sometimes if you decide you're going to walk with God, it's going to mean that you are going to take stands that go against what everybody else thinks and believes. That's not easy. But what's our calling in life? Is it to be happy? Or is it to be obedient? Well, the calling is for us to be obedient. Now, the standards that God has called for us to live by as we seek Him, they are high standards. Now, it's much easier to live according to the standards of man than it is to live toward the, towards the standards of God. And, and here's the reason why. Because as people we have a general tendency to go after the lowest common denominator in life. We, we usually go back, if I'm going to go after what makes me feel good, that, that is the lowest common denominator. Not what is right, but what makes me feel good. And sometimes it can be tiring to say, you know what, I'm going to go after God's standards. I'm going to live for the things of God, and I'm going to trust Him. And that can be something that's very difficult, and it can get to a point where you think, you know what, man, I'm just ready to chuck all this. I just want to have a good time. You know, I just want to relax and just live for me. Now, that sounds good, but where the danger come in, comes in is whenever we decide we're going to do that, then before long we begin to sacrifice the very, very, basic, very basic convictions that we are to have. Now, what does Peter tell us in verse number 14? He says, we are to be obedient children. Now, if you're a follower of God, then who is your father? And we're children. Children of who? We are children of God. Well, that's kind of cool, isn't it? If you follow Jesus, you're a child of God. We're told in 1 John 3, 1, look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. 
Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are who? We are God's children. And if children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, now what, does an, what does an obedient child do? He obeys. Who does he obey? He obeys his parents. He obeys his father. Now, sometimes, if you can probably remember as a kid, when your, your dad would tell you to do something that you didn't understand or maybe that you didn't agree with, but if you're an obedient child, you did it anyway. Now, why did you do it? A couple reasons. You respected your father, but the other reason why is you're, you said, well, I'm, I'm assuming that my dad knows more than I do, right? I mean, that's what my daughter Janie tells me. Dad, you are so wise, which is why she's obedient to me. Now, that's what obedient children do. They are, they are obedient to their parents because they believe their parents know what's best. So the Bible says concerning our relationship with God, it says in Isaiah 55, it says, For my, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, if I know somebody loves me, if I know somebody cares about me, then I'm much more willing to listen to them and even go along with what they say, even if I might not totally agree with them. Why? Because I believe that they love me. And as obedient children, that's how we are to respond to our Father. doesn't mean that we always understand or that maybe even our feelings that we don't agree with Him, but we're going to simply trust Him. And so what does that mean? It means that I'm not going to go with what I feel, but I'm going to go with what God says. Now, my fear is that what has happened so many times in, in, in America, with American Christianity, is many times we decide that we're going to go with our feelings instead of with God's Word. And so what happens is we begin to lose our distinctiveness as a people of God. We start to look like everybody else. And I, and I look around all the time, and I see people who say that they're followers of God, and, and then as you begin to talk to them and, and share with them, they'll say, well, you know, I believe that part of Scripture, but this other part of Scripture that doesn't make me feel all that good, I'm going to ignore it. Guys, let me tell you something. We, we can't do that. We don't have the right to choose what we're going to be obedient to. You see, we're just simply called to obedience to God, not to ourselves. I mean, Acts 5.29 says, we must obey God rather than men. One of, my, one of my favorite stories is how they train Arabian horses in the Middle East. And what they'll do is as they're training these horses, they will, I mean, they will not give them water to drink in the middle of the desert for day, several days. And uh, after they've been running around, the horses are tired. They're, I mean, they are, they're about to the point where they are stressed out and about to die of thirst. And then right at right when they're at their at their breaking point, the 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 trainers will blow a whistle, and the, it, telling the horses that they could, that they can run to the water. And man, the horses make a beeline for the water. As they are running to the water, they'll blow the whistle again. And those horses that have been trained, that are obedient, even the even though they are overwhelmed by thirst, they will stop, and they will turn around and prance back to the master. And when they come back to the master, then the master will blow the whistle again, and the horses will run back and get something to drink. Now, you can look at that and say, well, that's cool. I mean, why in the world would you do something like that to the horse, you know, to tease him like that? 
Well, here's the deal. Whenever you're in the Arabian desert and your life is depending upon the horse, you better make sure that horse is completely trained because your life hangs in the balance. And guys, that, that is what God is doing with us. He is training us because he understands that as we are living in the desert of this life, if we are going to survive, we better make sure that we are completely sold out to the leadership of God. And that we're trained. And that's why our calling is not for happiness, it's for obedience. So I look at our text, how can I be obedient? Well, prepare your mind for action. Don't compromise your spiritual convictions. Hang on to God's word. Trust him. And then here's the last one. Final instruction for obedience is, well, then you apply it. You apply your faith. Where? In all aspects of life. Verses 15 and 16, the last two verses I'll read. It says, but as the one who called you is holy, it says you also are to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, be holy, because I'm holy. And I think sometimes whenever we think of you know, people that are holy, we think, of, you know, we think of the saints. We think, well, that's for other people. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a calling on your life as well to be holy. Does that scare you a little bit? To say, I, I am holy. Man, that makes me nervous. Now, the modern day translation of holy is nerve. You know, whenever we think somebody who's holy, we think of somebody who does not have fun. Uh, when we think of somebody who is holy, we think of, of somebody who's, you know, maybe a, 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 a goody two-shoes. But the word holy, you know what it means? It's real simple. It just simply means to be set apart. It means to be different, to be distinctive. And it's not talking about just being distinctive on, on Sundays where you say, well, I'm distinctive because I go to church on Sunday. Or I'm distinctive, I'm different, because the only station that I'm tuned into, other than when I go to the Journey concert, is 89.7. Now, that's, that's not what it means to be holy. To be holy means to be distinctive in all of your life. Because if you're a follower of God, you have been chosen by God to live for Him. Now, that's just kind of neat to think, God would think of me like that? You know, Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, God said, I set you apart. In other words, I made you holy. Now, now, how is that supposed to play out in our daily lives? Well, look in verse number 15. If you look in verse 15, Peter said that we are to be holy in all of our conduct. In all of our conduct. That word conduct is in reference to public activity. Which is very contrary to what the world says to us today. The world today says your faith is a private matter. Your faith is something that you are to compartmentalize and you can practice it at home. But when you go to work, when you're around other people, it, your faith should not have any part of your life. Now, when I look into Scripture, Peter says your faith is to infiltrate every part of your life, whether you be in private or whether you be in public. Why? Because guys, we're, we're representatives of Jesus. When, when people see you, they should know by the way that you live and the way that you speak that you are different because you follow God. Now, does that mean we're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Now, should we strive for perfection? Well, yeah, but I mean, are we going to succeed? No. Everybody in here has sinned. 
Now, here's the neat thing, though, is as you live for God and, and you stumble and fail and sin, then you can go to God and ask him for forgiveness. And what that shows the world is when they see that we, that we fail, but that we get back on the horse again, what they see is that we have a God who is redemptive. You know, our goal is for people to see that whenever we stay away from the things of this world, that we can actually find a peace and a hope that is greater than the peace and the hope that the world offers. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be accepting of our faith. As a matter of fact, I see a lot of people, when they see believers take seriously their faith, there's, there's a lot of people who become angry. A lot of people who become bitter about that. But there will be those who will be drawn to you because of the way that you live. Therefore, they will be drawn to God. I, I read a, an interesting story about, in the Netherlands, the way that they cultivate some roses. And, and one of the things that they'll do is they'll get an inferior rose and they will plant it with superior roses. Now, they will take the anthers off of the inferior rose so that it doesn't pollinate, you know, the other flowers and mess them up. So they will take the anthers off and then what happens is the superior roses, they will pollinate that inferior rose. Now, so guess what happens to that inferior rose? It begins to take on the characteristics of a superior rose. It begins to change. It begins to become different. And I think that's a good picture of why we are called to be holy. You see, without Christ, people have needs in their lives that can never be fully satisfied. Their lives will never reach the great potential that God has in store for them. But whenever they are surrounded by a people who take seriously their commitment to be holy, then you have the ability, through the way that you live, impact their lives. And they will be drawn to Jesus. And when somebody is drawn to Jesus and touched by Jesus, a miracle happens. A person's heart's change. A person is transformed and given hope. So here's my final question. Are you holy? Are you living a holy life, a life that is separated from the ways of this world, a life that is lived to please God? And it's not focused simply on making yourself happy. And the rumor is God wants us to be happy. And I'm not saying God is against happiness. But that's not God's primary purpose in your life or my life. God's calling for us is to be holy. Now, how do I do that? You know, what's, what's the instruction for me to be holy? Prepare. Prepare your mind for action. Don't compromise your spiritual convictions. Hang on to God's word and what he teaches above all else. And then practice what he teaches and what he preaches. And what will happen? Well, what you'll find is peace and joy and instead of being a person who is stressed and worried about the concerns of the day, you will become a person who is able to relax in the rest that God gives because you know that God is in charge. Now, many of us have tried to fill our lives with the things of this world. The guys, it, it never works. Stuff of this life doesn't fill or satisfy. It loses. It's, it's, like, you know, it's like drinking a Coke when you're dying of thirst. You just get thirstier and thirstier. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fill. You want to be filled in life? Turn to Jesus to fill you.